Hey everyone, welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes, I am a Catholic youth missionary here in the Philippines and I will be your host here today. In this episode, we are going to continue to talk about the Lord's Prayer. This is part two of a four-part study series that we are doing on the prayer this Lent to study and to reflect on it as we are in this season together. We started this last episode last week and so I would like to encourage you, if you haven't listened to that yet, to pause this for a while. Go back to the first episode, give that a listen, and then come back here. That would help you get more out of the things that we are going to talk about today. And so if that's you, I'm going to give you time. Click pause. Come back here. Okay, are you done? Are you, are you here now? Have you listened to the previous episode? Good. It's good to have you back. Welcome back to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes. No, I'm, just, I'm not going to do that all over again. And so, okay, here's the thing. For today, we are going to talk about the first two lines of the Lord's Prayer. Like we mentioned last episode, we are going to split the prayer up into parts so that we could discuss the different parts of the entire thing. For today, we are only going to talk about the first two lines, which are, our Father in heaven, and holy be your name. If you wish to support this podcast, please do give us a rating on whatever platform you're using to listen to this. That would be very much appreciated. You could do that after you listen or while you are listening. If you find this valuable, that would be great. If you could share this also with your friends, with your family, on social media, that sure goes a long way and that would be very much appreciated. And so without further ado, let's begin. What was Jesus's favorite term for himself? What was his preferred way of referring to himself? One might think that the answer is Messiah. The anointed one. That's what Messiah means. But you see, that's not the answer. One would also think that it might be Christ, maybe, which is the same word as Messiah, but in a different language. Messiah originated from Hebrew. Christ originated from Greek. It means the same thing. But that's not the answer also. It's not Messiah. It's not Christ. It's also not the Son of God. You see these terms, Messiah, Son of God, Christ, these were the terms that were used by his followers, by his disciples, to refer to him. But Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself is Son of Man. Now I want to ask you this. What was Jesus' favorite term to refer to God? And yes, you guessed it already. The answer is Father. Father. You see, there are lots of other titles to refer to the Lord, especially in the Old Testament. If you go to the Old Testament, there are lots of other ways that the, the Lord's name is being invoked or the Lord is being referred to when we look at the passages of Scripture. One way is through the word Elohim, which translates to God. Elohim means God. Another way of referring to Him would be El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. You see, the El from El Shaddai is the same as the El from Elohim. Elohim means God. El Shaddai means God Almighty. So if you were wondering what that means, that is what that means. Right? Another title for the Lord is Adonai, which means Lord. It translates to Lord, basically. Adonai means Lord. 
But Jesus did not use these titles, did not use these terms to refer to God. Or at least it wasn't his preferred way of referring to God. You see, whenever Jesus would would go by himself to pray, and in this instance, when he was inviting, encouraging, teaching his followers to pray, to refer to God, to address God, the word that he encouraged them to use is not Elohim, it's not El Shaddai, it's not Adonai, it's not all of these other titles. Instead, he encourages them and us in extension to that to call God Father. Father. Jesus' preferred way, his favorite way of referring to God is Father. He is, after all, the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, this was the scene of Jesus' baptism. We hear a voice from heaven. This is what it says. After Jesus was baptized, he came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened for him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming upon him. And the voice came from the heavens, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is a public event that happened in the River Jordan as John the Baptist were baptizing people. Jesus approaches him. And after Jesus gets baptized, we hear this voice. This is a similar voice that we hear when we go to the story of the transfiguration. But there is an addendum which says, listen to him. This is my beloved son, listen to him. Now, we also know that Jesus was was persecuted for teaching about this. This was a part of his ministry, that he was the son of God, right? Jesus was persecuted for this. In John chapter 10, verses 31 to 33, it says, The Jews again picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from my Father. For which of these are you trying to stone me? The Jews answered him, We are not stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy. You, a man, are making yourself God. You see, Jesus is the Son of God. That is one of the essential things that we believe as Christians, as Catholics. And Matthew connects this story, connects Jesus to the story of the Hebrew scriptures. In the beginning of Matthew, during the Christmas story, the part of Matthew that talks about Christmas, Jesus' birth, there is a part there where it talks about the family, the, the, the holy family escaping from Herod. We talked about Herod in a previous episode also in our Christmas episode. You could go back to that if you want to hear more about King Herod in contrast to King Jesus. Anyway, going back to the topic, when Matthew is telling us the story of when Joseph and Mary and Jesus went to Egypt because they were running away from Herod, this is what it says in Matthew Chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. He stayed there until the death of Herod, that what the Lord had said through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. This is in reference to an Old Testament prophecy. You see, the idea of God as a father is not just found in the New Testament. This is also found in the Old Testament. But Jesus highlighted it even more. Jesus emphasized it 
in his teaching. But before we get to that, okay, let's go back to the Old Testament and try to look for some instances where we see God portrayed as a father. And let's not look farther than we already have. You see, in Hosea, this is where Matthew's reference of out of Egypt I have called my son, this is where it comes from. It comes from Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. He is preaching to the people of Israel. This is what it says. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the farther they went from me, sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, who took them in my arms, but they did not know that I cared for them. I drew them with human cords, with bands of love. I fostered them like those who raise an infant to their cheeks. I bent down to feed them. You see, what is being painted here is an image of God as a loving father, a father who wants to call back his children who have turned away from him. Does this sound familiar? You see, Jesus teaches about a parable that goes like this also, the parable of the prodigal son, a son who has turned away from the father, and yet the father has always been waiting for the son to return, for the son to go back you see this, this line, out of Egypt I have called my son. This originally refers to Israel as a people, as a whole, the people of God. They, one of the ways that they knew God is that they knew God as a father, as a father. So we see this in Israel as a people, but we also see this in humanity as a whole. We are a part of this. In the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, when human beings were created, it says that male and female, we are created in the image and likeness of God. In a previous episode, we talked about what this means. With what Part of what it means is that we represent God in the same way that we would look at an image, in the same way that we would look at a photo and be reminded of someone. Okay, We are called to live lives in such a way that when people see our actions, when people see us, they are reminded of who God is. We are called to be representatives of God here on earth. And there is a lot of implications. There are a lot of implications when we're talking about this as co-creators, as co-rulers, as covenant partners. Maybe we'll get to talk about that more in future episodes, but that is part of what it means to be made in God's image and likeness. However, it is not limited to that. Okay, because if you go forward into the story, when we talk about Adam and Seth, Seth is the forgotten child of Adam because oftentimes we only talk about Cain and Abel, but he, all, he had a third son called Seth and he is talked about in the end of chapter 4 and in the beginning of chapter 5 of Genesis. And this is what it says, okay? Pay attention to the language being used. It says in Genesis chapter 5 verse 3, Adam was 130 years old when he begot a son in his likeness, after his image, and he named him Seth. You see, part of what it means to be made in God's image is fatherhood. When the Bible says that we are made in the image and likeness of God, part of what that means is that we are God's children. The idea of God being a father is already there in the Old Testament. It's already there from the very beginning of the scriptures. But Jesus highlighted it. Jesus emphasized it even more. And so we have good reason to believe 
that it must be important. It must be important. Understanding, viewing God as a loving Father. In fact, the term that Jesus uses in the Lord's Prayer, in Our Father, it's not just a formal title. It's not a formal way of referring to your Father. It's a very intimate way of referring to your Father. The word is Abba. You might have heard of this already. Abba. It is a term of endearment. It is a term of intimacy. If you were to look at it from our the, the terms that we use today, it's a lot similar to something like Papa or Dad. It's a close way of referring to someone. And what we see in the story of the Bible and the story of the scriptures is that we are then invited also into that intimacy, into that father-child, father-son, father-daughter intimacy. Because the way Jesus teaches us to say this prayer is not by saying, Jesus is Father. Jesus is Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's not the way he teaches us, okay? It's not my Father. My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. No, it's not just Jesus is Father. It's not just my Father. No, it's our Father. We are included in this. And it's not just me as an isolated me. It's me including the others around me who are also invited to this through the work of Jesus and through the work of the Holy Spirit. There is a very beautiful passage in Romans chapter 8. Actually, the entire chapter 8 of Romans is very beautiful. And to an extension to that, Romans itself is so rich. But in Romans chapter 8, particularly in verse 14 and 15, this is what it says. Pay attention to this. This is super good. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption through which we cry, Abba, Father. We receive a spirit of adoption. Through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we are welcomed back into the fold. We are welcomed back into this family. And Jesus invites us to call God Father. That is what the first line is all about. It's about knowing how to address the Lord. He invites us to call God Father. In the Catechism, in paragraph 1265, it says, Baptism not only purifies from all sins, but also makes the neophyte, the new Christian, a new creature, an adopted son of God who has become a partaker of the divine nature, member of Christ and co-heir with him in the temple of the Holy Spirit. What happens when we receive the sacrament, when we are baptized, when we are welcomed back into the family of God, what God, what the Father says to Jesus, you are my son with whom I am greatly pleased, is then extended to us. This reality is extended to us by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. God also tells us, you are my son. You are my daughter. And I am greatly pleased with you. With you. There have been times in the past when I shared about this, when I preached about this, I gave a talk about this, and the way... One of the ways that I would frame this is by giving three points for reflection. The first point that I would say is that what this means is that God is my dad. He is my father. And it will help us understand more of how he moves, of what he does, why 
would he do certain things in scripture? And why is he doing certain things in my life? One of the ways that we could view that better, understand that better, is by knowing that God is a loving father. And a loving father is someone who supports. A loving father is someone who encourages. A loving father is someone who builds up. But a loving father is also someone who establishes boundaries when they are needed. A loving father is also someone who protects. A loving father is also someone who disciplines. And so having God as your father doesn't just mean that everything is fine, that he's a, he's a buddy. It, Jesus doesn't ask us to call him buddy. He asks us to call him father. This intimacy of a parent-child relationship is very real. And sometimes, because God loves us, he tells us no. You can't do that. You should not do that. There are consequences for that. But that is out of his love, not out of his cruelty. God is my dad. That's the first point that I share oftentimes when I, when I preach with two young people. The second point that I share is what this means. So God is my dad, first point. Second point is we are his children. I am God's child. And so a part of knowing God as your father is understanding more, okay? What follows from that is that you understand more about who you are, your identity as a Christian. You are a child of God. You should know your worth. You should know your value. You should understand your dignity as a child of God. You also, and part of that, understand your purpose, what you are there for, what things are worth pursuing for someone who is the child of the Father Almighty. We are His children. And part of understanding who God is, is understanding who we are in light of who He is. God is my dad, and we are His children. And then the last point that I share with them is, if God is my father, and God is your father, God is your father, God is that person's father, then what does that make us? What does that make us? That makes us brothers and sisters. So, Knowing God as your father shapes the way we view ourselves and it shapes the way we view the people around us. In fact, Paul, in the, in the New Testament, when he would write letters to the Romans, to the Corinthians, to the Galatians, one of the ways that he would refer to his churchmates is by saying brothers and sisters. Siblings, not just friends, but brothers and sisters. Because if God is our father, then that makes us brothers and sisters. And even here, just in referring to God as a father, we see again the pattern that we were referring to in the last episode, in the last, in the last discussion that we had, that it follows the same pattern of the greatest commandment, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want to ask you, okay, referring to God as father, have you ever tried that? Do you do that? If you do, or if you're still considering if you would, what do you think about it? And how do you feel about it? I am not often big on feelings. I am often a solution-oriented person. Although, for sure, siempre, there is a value in understanding your emotions, right? And I think I need to be more in touch with my emotions sometimes. I fully admit that. But here's the thing. The reason why I'm asking you what you feel about this, the reason why I'm asking you what you think about this is because it matters. It matters. Because viewing God as Father, as Jesus invites us to, is related to our experience of our own 
earthly father. And hearing from the stories of the many young people that I have that I have sat with, that I have listened to, that I have had conversations with over the years of being of of serving in the youth ministry, I can say for certain that not all of us have had good fathers. Some fathers have been neglectful. Some fathers have been passive. Some fathers have been abusive. Some fathers were there, were present, but they were still not perfect. And that's not their fault. It's not their fault if they're not perfect, but it is their fault if they're abusive, right? But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, this, because, because we have such a broken image of fatherhood and where we are right now, sometimes we import what we think of our own fathers here on earth. We import that into how we view God as our heavenly father. And that affects the way we relate to him. And sometimes that might even mean that referring to him as a father might be more difficult for us than it would be for someone else. It might not be easy. But I believe there's a reason why Jesus invites us to refer to him as father. One of the things that one of my previous professors asked us to do when we were having discussions about the Lord's Prayer is that he asked us to practice this to call God Father in our own prayer time. He asked us to do this for weeks, for more than a month, I think, to whenever we would pray, to refer to God as Father. And not just Father, again, in, in, the, in the formal sense of it, as to actually refer to Him as Papa or as Tatai or whatever term of endearment you have with a father, with a father figure. He asked us to practice this and to do this and to write about it, reflect on it, see what happens, see how it affects you. And I want to extend this invitation to you also. If you're not doing it already, I want to invite you to do it, to try to do your best to refer to God as Father. Refer to God as Father in your prayers. Allow your perspectives of what it means to be a father or what you've observed our culture, our society says about fatherhood. Allow that to be challenged by the perfection, by the wholeness, by the goodness of God's fatherhood. Allow that to be renewed, purified, so that we could reclaim a greater sense, the fuller sense of what it means to be a father from the source of fatherhood, of goodness himself, our Father in heaven, the Lord. Let's allow him to re-father us in the ways that we might need to be re-fathered here and now. You don't have to do this, but I hope you do. I hope you do. This could be part of your, your Lenten practice. So that's the first line about our Father in heaven. Jesus invites us to refer to God as our Father. The second line is, Holy be your name. Now, an important question to be asked here is, what do we mean by holy? It's one of those words that we use, those churchy words that we use, right? We use it a lot, and sometimes we think we know what it means, but when we're asked to define it, it's kind of difficult. You know, church words like amen or hallelujah, stuff like that. Holy is one of those church words that we use, but what do we mean by it? When we say that someone is holy, what does that mean? We might think of a person who is holy as someone who is of good moral standing, that he is a good person. He's holy. He's a good person. Oftentimes, in our, in our culture right now, 
the term holy could be used as a way to make fun of someone, especially if you have friends who don't go to church and then maybe you go to church and then you have your friends telling you, alam mo, ang holy holy niyan, ang holy holy mo. Let's, let's not act too, too crazy when we're around this person because he's too holy. Don't say bad words when you're in front of him, he's too holy. Sometimes it's like that, diba? And then they, they, they rub their blankets, they rub their handkerchiefs um, on you as if you were a saint, make fun of you. Sometimes people would even make the joke if you invite them to church, oh, I might burn when I enter into the church. I'm not holy enough. These are, these are some of the ways that we use the word holy. But what does it actually mean? What do we mean when we say the word holy? One way that could help us understand the term holy is by using the term set apart. To be holy is to be set apart. And that has two meanings or two implications when we talk about it in Scripture. One, the first implication is when we're referring to God. When we say that God is holy, what do we mean by that? What we mean is that God is set apart above everything else, above everyone else. He is different. There is none like him. He is sovereign. He is incomparable. He is transcendent. He is more. He is greater. There is none like God. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, that's exactly what it says. There is no holy one like the Lord. There is no rock like our Lord. What it means to say that God is holy is that he is unmatched. He is unrivaled. He is the one. He is the greatest, the holy one, the source of all goodness, goodness himself. God is a holy. There is none like him. And so when we worship him, it is well-deserved when we worship him. That means that since God is the holy one, then he is the only one deserving of our worship. And we talked about this, again, in the previous episode when we talked about where, where does your worth come from. I think that's the title episode. I'm going to link to it in the description so that you could go back to it if you would like to. Where does your worth come from? Worship. We worship God because He is holy, because He is above everything and above everyone. He is different. And he is ultimately greater. In fact, the name Michael, so you might know the angel Michael, or you might know someone named Michael. There are lots of people named Michael in the Philippines. <laughs> Michael, Mikael, El, in the, same, in the same El that we find in El Shaddai, so Elohim, God. Michael means, Mikael means, who is like God? Who is like God? He is unrivaled. He is unmatched. And part of what this means is when we talk about God's goodness, God's perfection, God's wholeness. And that's partly where I, our idea of being holy means being moral comes from. It's related to that. Because if we want to be holy like God is holy, then we need to be more like Him. That's part of what it means, at least. So that's being set apart above everything. That's what we mean when we say that God is holy. But what do we mean when we say that we should be holy, that people should be holy? Or when we use terms like holy water, holy salt, what does that mean? How can salt be holy? How can water be holy? Set apart. The second, the second meaning or the second implication of that term is that we are set apart for a purpose. In other words, dedicated. That is what it means for things for people to be holy. 
So if for God, it means set apart above everything and everyone. But for, for us, to be holy means to be set apart for a purpose, to be dedicated. A good example of this that I've heard from Tim Mackey, um, he puts it in this way. Your bathroom is holy. It is set apart for a purpose. It is dedicated for a purpose. There are certain things that you would not do in there, such as eat your breakfast, eat your lunch. You would not do it while sitting on the toilet. It just would not be right because the toilet is dedicated for a certain purpose and it would be not good for you to eat there. Your plate is dedicated for a certain purpose. It holds your food. It's not good to bring into the bathroom what holds your food because in the bathroom, what happens is that you, you, well, you put out what is left of your food after it passes through your digestive system. That is what happens in the bathroom. It, it ju it's just not right. It's dedicated for a purpose. When we say that water is holy, holy water, what we are saying that we are blessing this water, the priest is blessing this water to be dedicated for a purpose. And oftentimes the use of holy water is in blessing other things also. Set apart for a purpose. Another example of this is when we have our shoes, we have our dining table. We would not, when we get home, okay, you would not put your shoes on top of the dining table. There are certain people, again, who would not even want their dirty clothes to be on top of their bed because the bed is sacred. The bed is meant for resting. The bed is meant to be clean. So some people, not all, some people don't even like the idea of resting their dirty clothes on top of their bed because the bed is a holy place for them. It's dedicated for something. So when we're using the term holy in a religious sense, we are saying that someone is holy, something is holy, when it is fully dedicated to the Lord, the one which is the Holy, the Holy One. There is more to be said about the idea of holiness. I'm going to link to a Bible project video on holiness in the description also. So if you would like to see that, that is very helpful. But in Psalm 86, Psalm 86 verses 8 to 11, it, it, it gives a, a very good reflection on holiness. It says, Among the gods there is none like you, Lord. So that's the first, the first implication. Among the gods there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. So the first implication of the word holy, when we're using it on God, that God is above everything and everyone, that's the first line. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. But you see, toward the end, we see what it means for people to be holy, to be dedicated to the Lord. What does it say? It says, give me an undivided heart, a heart that is wholly dedicated on you, Lord. That is part of what it means to be holy to be fully dedicated to the Lord. Now, let's go back to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, that's the first line. The second line is, holy be your name. What is being revealed to us here? What is being pointed out to us here? A good point of reflection would be to see that God is both Lord and Father. 
what is being communicated to us here, both God's authority as well as His intimacy with us. We are invited to both reverence in the sense that God is holy, but also to relationship in the sense that God is a father. And so a good question to ask here would be, which view of God do we need to incorporate more into our lives? Which view of God are we more comfortable with? God as father or God as Lord? Authority or intimacy? Reverence or relationship? Which are we more comfortable with? Both are good. Which are we more comfortable with? And which area do we need to grow in more? Again, God is both Lord and Father. And I believe this time of Lent is a great opportunity for us to reassess the way we relate to Him, the way we view Him. How could we be more aligned with the truth, with how He reveals Himself to be? Do we need to grow in our intimacy with Him, with our closeness to Him, with Him seeing Him as our Father? and thus seeing us as his child and seeing one another as his children? Or do we need to grow more in holiness and having the right reverence for God for who he is and having an undivided heart that is dedicated toward him? I would like to leave it at that for today. Lots of things to think about and to pray about here. Again, I want to invite you to continue praying about this, to continue reflecting on this. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. If this was helpful for you, share this with a friend, with your family, on your social media. Give us a rating on Spotify, Apple, or whatever platform you are using to listen to this. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. Next week, we are going to continue with the next part, which is... May your kingdom come, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so stay tuned. Let's connect more on our Facebook group, Not So Secular Discussions and Questions. The link to that will be found in the description as well. With all that said, thank you very much for today. I'll see you next week. Bye.